Hi, and welcome to the official Laughs podcast. My name is Estefania Lacayo, and along with Samantha Tams, we founded the Latin American Fashion Summit, a global platform for Latin American fashion and design. In our podcast sessions, we aim to bring you enriching and inspiring conversations with designers, entrepreneurs, leaders, activists, and newcomers, and share their powerful stories with you. Thank you for being here. We hope you enjoy the following conversation. Today's guest is someone I am lucky enough to call a friend, someone I admire very much, not only for her empowering leadership skills, but also because she's such a loyal friend. Carla Martinez is the type of friend that will never skip your presentation or dinner party, even if she has five work events on that same day. She always finds time to stop by. Being reliable and loyal are just a few of the wonderful qualities that describe her. So Carla and I go way back. Many of you will be surprised to know that she was actually my first boss in 2003. But more about that later. Carla is from Mexico and grew up in El Paso, Texas. She is currently editor-in-chief of Vogue Mexico and Latin America, and prior to that, has had an impressive career in the editorial world, including Vogue USA, W Magazine, Interview, and T Magazine. She's one of Business of Fashion 500 Most Influential People, and she's also one of the founders of Project Paz, a nonprofit that supports communities in the U.S. and Mexican border. I'm very excited about this conversation, so let's jump right in. Carla, how are you and where are you right now? Hola, Estefania. Bien, ¿y tú? I'm really happy to be on the phone with you. I know. I, mean, I know. I feel like we always catch up. Each of us hiding, you in the bathroom, me in, in the corner of my room from our children and husbands. <laughs> in, a, in my toilet. So <laughs> I know. Anywhere these days you can get work done is, is a blessing. I know, I know. And I feel like I'm always constantly talking to you with this day by chat, not like talking. How is that? But how are you? How are you doing? I'm good. I have my days. I have, it's funny, on the weekends, I'm actually really happy um, because I have this, I always have this sense. I mean, you know me, like, I'm not one to stay at home all day and I, th I, ha I have this always this feeling of guilt when I'm home in my pajamas all day doing absolutely nothing. I always feel like I want to do something and that's something I would say before was always either going to the park or going to a museum or checking out an exhibit at a gallery or seeing friends and I had a really hard time um, letting go and, and relaxing. So now that I have nowhere to go, um, I'm actually really look forward to my weekends much more than I did before. It, it's strange. Okay. What are you doing with the girls and with Francisco on the weekends? We do different things. Um, before I used to wake up at eight on Saturdays to get my nails done and then to go to my favorite yoga class at 9.30. Um, I would leave the girls with Francisco. Now, um, I obviously wake up a little later. Um, we have breakfast a little later and don't really do much. I mean, we order in breakfast. Um, what do we do this Saturday? I feel like um, this Saturday was, was a little different. Um, Are you guys still walking outside? Like, can you guys go walk to the park? Yeah, we walk to the park. Um, I have a standing yoga class at 11. And then after that, I'll take the girls in the stroller. Um, now we have to put a face mask on and just walk for like an hour, um, come back. 
We ordered um, a paella this weekend. And then almost by the time you finish eating lunch, it's already like mid-afternoon, you know, like late, later, later in the afternoon. And I watched um, Trolls with the girls. <laughs> they didn't get the references, but... Um, it was a fun activity regardless. We actually watched Jumanji this weekend. It was so funny. I mean, it's the girls are not ready for it, but it was hilarious. Um, <laughs> it was so funny. Um, um, that's great. And I know you're a big reader. So what are you reading right now? Um, I actually, this weekend, I'm reading this book called Such a Fun Age um, that I ordered off of Amazon. Bad word. Just kidding. Um, no. I ordered off of Amazon and delivered here. And then I usually am reading always like two things at a time. And then I picked up a book that I had on my bookshelf that I never read and bought. And I opened the book. It's um, The Resurrection by Leo Tolstoy. And it was, I had a receipt from when I bought it at the Strand in 2011. Wow. And somehow I got 60 pages in on Saturday. So now I'm kind of hooked on both books because one is like um you know like a kind of but i feel like that's always the case for you. you're always reading you're always hooked with two books yeah i'm always reading two books um i always kind of switch them back and forth um i try and read before bed i mean thankfully i say thankfully because um we're all very um lucky and it's a, a privilege to be able to stay home and to have a job that you can do from home um but the job is kind of eight to eight or even longer because now that you are always connected you're always working and so I I try and read at night mainly so on the weekends I've been re on Saturday I got you know it's funny you say that like I'm trying to do the same like literally disconnect at least at a certain time of the day which usually this day is like 10 p.m because of because of the kids and you know and all the things that I have to do at home but at least knowing that, like, I have some time for myself. Like, it keeps you saying, like, if not, we'll just go crazy, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it is, I think I try and, like, switch the phone off at 10, which is really late. Like, I get a little reminder on my phone. And I used to read Twitter at night, but I honestly can't read Twitter at night anymore. I just, it, it agitates me. I get angry. Um, I shouldn't be reading such bad news. No, you know what? I actually yeah. stopped. Do you listen to podcasts? I do listen to podcasts, but I listen to them in the morning. Usually when I'm running um, or when I'm exercising, even like if I do the Tracy Anderson live stream, I mute the music and put either the Daily on or um, the Daily Show with Trevor Noah just for some lightness um, because I found that the Daily was getting a bit heavy had to turn it off for a while. Um, you know, that we're this we're constantly listening to news and watching things at all hours that at a certain point I think we have to kind of be able to disconnect a bit, no, from all the bad news. I not be misinformed, but at the same time not be constantly listening to um bad. I agree. So let's get to it. You know, I want to start talking about leadership. And the reason why that is um there's an issue very interesting pattern in how great leaders inspire action. All of them communicate in the exact same way, the why, how, and what they do. One of my favorite authors, it's a speaker, I don't know if you know him, his name is Simon Sinek. He calls it the, the golden circle, what, why, and how, which I find it so true. Um, it's actually fascinating how he describes it. The reason why I tell you this is because 
I'm convinced you've earned trust rather than demanded it. You lead by example, and I also think you have lots of courage, not being afraid of change and changing things the way it's always been done. The reason I tell you all this is because I have no doubt you're a fantastic leader. You took charge of a magazine in a region that is not only difficult to navigate, but also completely new to you. You have put your own special touch on the publication and in many ways you have truly disrupted certain aspects of it. For example, through your wonderful covers that never cease to amaze me. Um, so let's talk about leadership. How do you define leadership and what does it mean to you? I think um, to be a good leader, you had to have been a good follower in, in a sense. Um, not follower in that, you know, you're following what someone else is is doing. But when I was younger, I grew up in El Paso, Texas. I went to an all-girls school um, called Loretto Academy. And um, there were so many good leaders. And, and what I mean in the first, I think our teachers, the people that, that, that we first, um, you know, encounter as, as leaders, um, as young women are, um, are our teachers. And I, I always really observed the way that a good teacher had, you know, such a great following and were so much more than just a teacher. They were true leaders. And I would have to say that they, um, always put themselves in the situation of the student, um, they listened, they gave good feedback. Um, I think that that I've been lucky enough to work with um, women and men also that that are great leaders. Um, for me, it's it's something that I've always strived to be is is a good leader. Um, I think a lot of the times we have to work on our listening skills the most because that's what makes, um, a good leader and and um, listening to others and and I think that's kind of the hardest part of of being a good leader is also being a good listener. Did your leadership change when you moved to Mexico, coming from from a different work environment in the U.S.? Um, it did change. I mean, when I was in the U.S., I um, the biggest team that I led was ten people at W, and um, you know it was the. The work, I mean, I think New York is so different in any city that everyone is just so kind of work-centric. Um, it's different than any other city in the world, I would say, um, in terms of, of of those, of of people's, it's in New York, it's always like priority is work and then family and then every, you know, it's, it seems that everyone has this like chip of ingrained in them. And, you know, moving to Mexico and working with a new team and, and, and seeing the different working styles that you have when you are, um, when you do move to another country and how um, my leadership skills would change. And now it's different because I'm it, at W, I was at the head of a department and it was the fashion department and there were 10 people. And now I'm leading a team of 15. And for example, I do lead the digital team and digital is not my expertise, but I've come to know, n learn about it, more about it. And at the same time, I do take cues from our digital editor to help lead me into knowing um, the platform better. And um, that's, I think, what part of what I was saying is, is that you can be a leader, but still strive to learn from other people. Um, and I, I think that being a leader, you're constantly 
learning new things and learning um, how to inspire people, how to challenge people, how to get the best work out of out of them. Um, I've well, I think you've done such a wonderful that, job that, um, that people admire you very much. Live by the idea of treat people the way you want to be treated, and and that's um, the way I lead. Even though sometimes I do think you have to be a little bit more um, hard because people obviously take advantage. So you have to be a little, a hundred percent, you know, and um, how are you keeping them? How, how are you keeping your team motivated these days, despite all the obstacles that we're going through? I mean, there's so many obstacles. And, and for example, we, we're releasing our uh, May issue combined with our June issue tomorrow um, that was a really interesting, um, my boss in France said that it was a very interesting cover for a very interesting time, um, which is very true. And I think that says so much about, about everything that we're doing. And I think that people have to, first it was, you know, learning to adapt to work from, to working from home, being in constant communication with each other. Um, but I think there's a huge opportunity to, to, um, for the editors that, that were contributing to the website, you know, twice, two or three times a week. Now they're going to be contributing, you know, every single day. And also I think it's amazing to be able to learn a new, uh, a new way of working. And that is the digital way. As you know, there's so many things to learn in the digital space. Um, you learn that the reader isn't the same a lot of the times, you know, a lot of the times you have to, um, you know, we might be writing about art in the magazine, but in digital, you have to tell them about art in a different way. And it's a different approach. So I think it's, um, you know, there's a positive side in that they will learn a whole new skill set coming out of the um, quarantine, which is how to write for a website. And I think that that's a pretty great experience, if you ask me. I think so, too. I mean, I think even though it's obviously extremely difficult what all of us are going through, I think at the end of the day, we're all finding a way how to pivot and how to reinvent ourselves. And and I, at the same time, we're all working even harder these days, you know? Yeah, I feel like the, the, you know, the girls on the digital team are like, you know, my day starts at seven and it ends at 10 because now, for example, with people before the, the times that people were on Vogue.mx were different than what they are now. Now people aren't sleeping, but, you know, people stay awake all night because they have anxiety. Mm -hmm. So guess what they're doing? They're not reading. They're on you're the, you know, they're, they're not reading books. They're reading on the Internet. So our mm -hmm. peaks have changed and just learning the those behaviors and people have been um, really, really interesting. And for me, you know, um, where I, I took the day off yesterday and which means for me, I woke up at eight instead of waking up at, you know, 645 and it caused so much chaos because my daughters didn't have the day off. So I was kind of trying to exercise while putting the Zoom channel on for one of the, it was a disaster. So I think, you know, learning to, learning new things, learning how to manage your time, because when you're at home, it's different, you know? Super different. How are you managing? Because, you know, I'm trying to be as conscious as possible. And I keep reminding myself when I sent them, you know, we have a chat or a team with Sammy and I, and I'm, you know, I'm constantly like sending them a chat on a Saturday or a Sunday. And I keep reminding, oh my God, why are my, 
why am I being this? Like, why am I sending them a test on a, on a Saturday? They could be, you know, it's their downtime. Do you, do you see yourself finding yourself doing that sometimes? Yeah. I send texts at like 10 o'clock at night. Well, I kind of always have, because I feel like if I don't write things down, I forget. And so, yeah, me too. You're like that, like me, and especially because we come with that New York mentality that it's like, we never, we never, you know, there's never downtime. Yeah. You kind of never stops the weekend, you know, just in the same way we actually have a girl in on our online team that works from Thursday to Monday, because we found that, you know, a lot of people were consuming news and the digital team was getting burnt out because everyone was working Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So we have a girl actually, um, that just works from Thursday to Monday, you know, turning on, um, turning on the um, notes and and just different things um, on the weekend. So, but I feel like now all the days are blending. So I, I try not to bother anyone on the weekend, but I do, I would send them a note saying, you know, just check this out when you can, or let's focus on this, but obviously on Monday, unless it's, you know, a breaking news. Of course. So let's talk, let's dive in a little bit about Latin America, you know, what was what has your experience um, been like um, when you first moved and some of the challenges that you faced when you when you started when you moved and also when you started at Vogue? Um, I think, you know, just getting used to being I think a lot of people say, oh, you moved back to Mexico. Well, no, I had never moved. I had never lived in Mexico. So it wasn't back. I, I was living in Mexico for the first time. Um, being surrounded by a different culture, which, you know, I had been around all my life, but it's different once you kind of fully, I mean, even if you went back to Nicaragua right now, you know, you would find a lot of challenges that maybe you forgot about, right? Um, and um, I had spent summers in Mexico, but I actually never spent that much time in Mexico City. And um, and also El Paso is very American, I feel like. Yes. I mean, El Paso's like, I always say it's like Mexico with all the, you know, perks of living in the U.S. But it's, you know, everyone speaks Spanish and you have the kind of very warm and friendly culture. Um, but, you know, it was interesting when I first started at Vogue, Eva Hughes was my boss and she always, you know, would say things. She's a very smart woman and she would say, you know, the clients here are not like they are in the U.S. and it's something you're going to have to get used to and they're much more difficult to please. And and there were a lot of things that, she, that you know, she was really right about and that I really valued the advice because, you know, just because you move from New York and, and, and people know who you are there didn't mean that people knew who I was here or frankly cared, you know, and, and just coming, being, you know, becoming editor in chief doesn't mean that you automatically get, you know, the respect that you, that you, it doesn't come along with these things. I think you, you, you have to earn it and you have to, um, look at the market. Yeah. It's, it's really, um, yeah, for me, um, it's also been extremely challenging, you know, like obviously, you know, I've only worked in New York, um, for, you know, American clients and American projects and, you know, starting laughs for me was, it's also been a huge challenge because, you know, it's learning how to work with, you know, in a different environment where people just working a different work ethic, nothing negative about it. It's just, it's very different to the way we've right, always right. worked. And, and you just like the, the, the main example, um, you know, I would email people and no one would email me back. And then you send them a WhatsApp and they write you right back. So it's like little cultural things that you, 
um, have to get used to, you know? It's yeah. really funny. Like when we did um, the first summit at the Riviera Maya, um, remember we had like Nara Porter or Bergdorf, a few retail, retailers lined up to be speakers. And I kept asking Sammy, I was like, have you heard from Palacio de Hierro? And she's like, no, they don't respond back. And I was like, and then someone said, why don't you guys just send them a WhatsApp? They'll probably respond faster. And then I started getting used to this whole way that like you can send contracts by WhatsApp. And it's just, it's mind blowing, but that's just the way things work. And, and, and they do work. They just, it's different. Yeah, huh? It's really different. I think also one of the challenges was, you know, the first season that I went to the shows, like you don't get the same tickets that you did before. There was one certain brand that put me in the fourth row and I was like, you put me in the second row when I was an editor at W and they were like, yes, but unfortunately, you know, we don't distribute in, 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 um, Mexico is not one of our priority countries. And I thought to myself, I said, that's so silly because you know, so many Mexican women, like despite there not being a physical store, you know, for certain brands, like Mexican and Latin American women are shopping all over the world. And, um, you know, yeah, shopping you more know, than anyone shopping <laughs> or when they were shopping, they were shopping all over the world. And, and I feel like that was such a backwards way to think. And I remember Jonathan Newhouse was like, you don't sit in the fourth row. You're the editor in chief of Vogue, period. And so, um, that was something that, you know, I while I didn't want to be this kind of snooty editor saying, like, I'm not going to go if you seat me in the second row. But, you know, he was right. I'm the editor of Vogue and, and um, I represent a huge region where women um, and men love fashion and um, sh travel, go around the world. And it's very close minded to think that just because, you know, there's not a physical store of a certain brand, um, you the the editor shouldn't be treated the same way as, as from another remember country. I remember one time we were talking and you were telling me how one of the challenges was also uh, you actually convincing, which I thought it was shocking, some stylists and, um, and creative directors that you love and you wanted to work with them for some shoots. And it was, you know, it was a big challenge on like convincing them to want to work for Vogue Latin America and Mexico. Yeah. I mean, that was, it, it, it was a challenge. And, and I think, you know, I remember, especially with the models, like I have a, I have a person that helps me, um, David Chen, who casts our models because it was so difficult. It was so frustrating to, you know, work with, um, not only, you know, I mean, just, working like putting a project together and and um I remember he said you know I'll cast your models for you I'm this is an exciting project he works with um a what, big casting director called Ashley Brokaw and I said why do you know why is it that sometimes we don't get like you know certain kind of model or the model of the moment and he was like because you know the Asian markets have all the money basically Um, they, you know, every big model wants a huge beauty contract. And in Latin America, you don't have that. You don't have those huge contracts. Um, you have a few stores that will invest, you know, $50,000 in a model, but so you're not getting a lot of those contracts. So that's why. So why you think it's because of that? You don't think it has anything to do with like the way that, um, some parts of the world can actually portray us or see us? I mean, I think it's, it could be a combination, but in, for example, with the models, I know that it was that, that, that was what, what David explained to me, that it was very simple. Um, 
And, and, you know, and do you find that, do you find it to be changing? I do find it to be changing. And also not just do I find it to be changing, but you know, for example, there's amazing models that are, I don't know, let's just say like a Dutch model. That's like the model of the moment. And I put her on my cover. My, I've, Learn, what I've seen is that my audience doesn't connect with that model so much. Even though she might have r- walked every single runway of the season, my model might connect with more with someone like, you know, Linacy or Iandra or, um, you know, uh, Sara Sparza or Mariana Zaragoza, like girls that are from Mexico and Latin America. And um, I I find that that you know, if I'm not giving these girls a cover, who is giving these girls a cover? Because, you know, you have the kind of 10 models that that are on the cover of all the international Vogue's. And that's not to say that that they're not going to be on, that I don't want them on the cover of Vogue Mexico and Latin America. I do want them on the cover. But I think just being, having a more balanced representation of what is going on um, in fashion, but what's going on culturally in Mexico and Latin America became more important to me. Um, I was really happy to see um, the Dominican models on the cover of the New York Times magazine in T this past month. I thought that was such an exciting moment. You know, Crini Hernandez, who was on our cover in January, was on the cover of American Vogue. Oh, I love that cover. And then, um, you know, Iandra Martinez, who's Dominican, was just on the cover of Vogue Russia, which is amazing. Vogue Russia, you know, they, there was like a million models they could have on the cover that are Russian. But, you know, they chose um, an afro And also model. for all these Latin girls that are just, you know, they're walking all the important shows right now. If Vogue Latin America and Mexico is not putting them in the cover, you know, it also puts a precedent on like, you know, we're not validating their job enough, you know, which is also what happens to many designers that, you know, that until they get the validation of the retailer outside of Mexico or Colombia or the rest of Latin America, they finally get the eyes of the department store in their country that is like, okay, fine. Now I have a budget to give you a tiny spot, Exactly, which is so sad, you know? It's just such like a, it's a, it's a weird cycle, you know, but I do think that it's important for us I mean, we really are a global platform now. And, you know, a lot of even local brands like, um, you know, Louis Vuitton, Tiffany, they want to do projects um, that are very much local for for the local market now. And I think that's something new. And I think that came about um, because not one person works for every country. And, And it's... You know, in now that everything is so global, I think, you know, since we can see the cover of Vogue Russia without and we can read Vogue Russia now. Well, I can't read it, but, um, you know, you could it's at your fingertips. And I think that is then the localization, you know, supporting your local industries and local models and becomes even more important. A hundred percent. Also, one of the also biggest challenges that I see in Latin America, and I know we've spoken about this in the past, is the fashion calendar not being aligned, right? I find it extremely exhausting and hard for all the editors and buyers to travel, obviously, to all the shows all over Latin America. You know, there's so many shows, you know, from Costa Rica, Mexico, Colombia, different platforms just in one country. How do you think 
what do you think we can do different to to because this this is a big well, problem you I know do, how can uh, what can I we do I do think that that this is all going to be rethought about in general because I think maybe it was you that I was talking to or a friend of mine that was saying that one of the buyers from Netaporter had to go to Europe eight times for to see eight different collections I mean the expense on i know what i spend in europe and you know i'm trying to get like good deals on hotels and and everything it's a fortune and i do think that there is going to i think the calendars will change a bit i think um i don't know how exactly just yet um you know as we've seen you know couture was postponed men's was postponed um but i do think there has to be a simpler way i think a lot of the latin american brands also were trying to catch up to this international calendar and a lot of the brands just don't have the money to do it i mean i remember when i had a, my own brand um as you know i remember a buyer came in once i had a brand a, you know a lifestyle brand that was based around the idea of of loungewear and silk pajamas she said to me why don't you make furs for, for fall like what you <laughs> fur uh, out of loud this is a, a big buyer from a big retailer you know and i just feel like maybe there maybe it's okay to not sell in 500 countries You know what I mean? Maybe that maybe we'll go back to this idea of you know slowing down everything. Look, the industry has been talking about this. It's not like a conversation no, that we're all having. All it's been a sustainability conversation. 100%, but I think maybe now it's going to push us to really really yeah. do it because it's, we've been in talks about this for years already. Talking about Piamita, I wish I was wearing Piamita as we speak. I mean, talk about <laughs> the right timing for Piamita right talk now. Talk about bad timing for not having a brand. <laughs> but but yes and no enough. because then it's also like what a pain to be having a brand these days all the responsibilities yeah so yeah i do agree um so what are some of the lessons that you actually learned from piamita you know having for all of you listening you know carla had this amazing loungewear line called piamita sold you know in all the big department stores all over the world and it was the most chic loungewear at a great price point she had it with her co-founder cecilia sola for a few years what so obviously you know you have this editorial experience but you also have great feedback that you can give to all the emerging designers and all the designers in Latin America. What do you think was one of the well, biggest lessons that you learned from owning was, your own line? Was don't try and be everything to everyone. You know, you you can't, you know, if you don't have the capacity to start making wool sweaters, don't make wool sweaters because someone tells you to make wool sweaters. I think um You know, one of the biggest challenges was that okay, fine, you you have money to invest to have you know, to set up your your business and do your first collection and then how do you pay to get that first collection produced? I think that was one of the biggest um things that we learned and also um just producing you know, more than we could kind of But like biting off more than we could chew, for example, like doing too many looks one season maybe wasn't necessary. I mean, and did you guys have a hard time? Um, did you guys have a hard time? Sorry, to interrupt you. Did you guys have a hard time finding the right factories? Um, yes, I being mean, a small brand, factories were um, a huge challenge for us. We found a woman that that produced small batches in China, but people aren't that 
open about their factories and who they work with. So when you go to someone to ask them for advice, they won't necessarily tell you. Um, that I thought was quite challenging. Um, I think it, a friend of mine was saying that he wanted to do a directory of, you know, fabric and factories and, and you know, you try and do things. We did things produced in New York one season. You know, it brings the price of the item up. So do a lot of people end up caring? No, they care more. They would rather spend $250 versus $300. So there were a lot of um, things that we learned, and we learned literally by falling on our faces. Um, we also had- And I think also saying, like, not being scared. Um, I actually, I, I, I read an article the, the other day, and you mentioned it right now, which is like, learning how to say no to a buyer. Like, you know, if X buyer comes and sees your line and tells you that you need to have fur into your loungewear line, be, you know, being like, no, it's not only not the aesthetic of my brand, but, or, or if they're asking you for like, always like, you know, it's a big thing that asking you for exclusive, exclusive styles, like adding more skews into your exactly. actual collection. I mean, that is a humongous I, cost. We that did gets exclusive you, styles for... Um, a big department store that no longer exists, and you had a good space there. And um, we, I we do. I mean, I think it's okay to say no. Extra you know? cost for us. It was an extra cost for us. I think that you really have no idea how much is involved in creating and making a collection um, financially. I think as editors, we had no idea. And there you are. No, that's why I think it's great because you also have that experience. Yeah. You know, when you talk to um, a a designer in Latin America, you actually, you actually can give them a very good advice because you've also been, you know, an entrepreneur yourself, you know? Um, I think it's, I think the direct to consumer model is really interesting. And I think the probably um, very much the future for, um, a lot of designers. I think it's a great um, platform and it's a great way to um, know who your client is and and, and um, get to know them. I think that's really exciting. And now um, I think designers right now have such, I mean, a lot of them, are, yes, are suffering, like the whole fashion industry is suffering, but I think it's a great moment. I talked to six designers today and three yesterday, me- uh, Mexico-based designers. And you know, it's a time to, you know, they a lot of them had finished their collections and now they can focus on, you know, the, the kind of business part or maybe some of them had the business part figured out, but now they have time to be creative and, and you can really connect now with your consumers, you know, through social media and, and all of those things. I think it's a really good time to take advantage to get to know who your customer is and engage with yeah, them. Yeah, I tell that's what I tell the designers right now. Like, you know, like appreciate this this downtime to really restructure your business and refocus on like, you know, what you know that's working and just leaving aside everything that's been a distraction that does, that you know, you know, you as an entrepreneur, as the owner of your business, you know exactly what has not been working. Right. So just like putting that aside, you know, putting all those cues that have never worked for you, but you want them to complete a collection because you thought that was the right thing to do, having more styles. I think that I think this time will push us to like having more narrow collections, you know, um, that are very, very core to your, the values, to the aesthetic of your brand. Right. Right. So we are running out of time, but I want to ask you, what are you looking for most after COVID-19 is over? Me? I mean, on a personal level, um, 
I had a nephew two weeks ago, and I can't wait to go meet him. Um, I, I'm someone that that loves to um, see my mom and my family, and and um, I, I can't wait to go see my new nephew and and my mom. Um, are, are they all in El Paso right now? Your yeah, your two sisters. Um, both of your sisters in El Paso. Yeah, both of my sisters and my brother and his wife. Um, and I'm really, I'm really looking forward to a time that we can, you know, go with you and see family and friends. I think one of the things that you miss and don't even value so much is like the idea of going to lunch with a big group of friends and talking and, and interacting. And, and yes, you can do that via zoom, but it doesn't give you the same connection. No, um, I think that sense of discovering, you know, outside your home, whatever it may be. Um, is exciting. I miss that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm I'm looking I'm looking forward to see what coming out from under the rock is going to look like because I think it's going to change from country to country and um, you know. So um, to wrap it up, um, I've been asking everyone, all of our guests, how do you define your purpose or your why in life? Like, what is your why? Oh boy, I don't. Oh, this is a hard question. Um, Oh, I think I can answer that for you. I, I think I know so many of your whys. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're a great connector, you know? You're very good at connecting and, like... I, I guess I was going to... What I was initially going to say is that I've always loved um, helping people in whichever way that that um, can be. I think um, my father was a doctor, and, and he was, you know, if you didn't find him inside the hospital, he was you know, hanging out in a hospital in Juarez, helping another doctor, you know, helping some of the, you know, not so fortunate hospitals with medical supplies and things like that. And I really learned from them and and from my mom, who was so generous. And and I always, um, I, I, I love helping people. I think you're right. I love connecting people. I love um, introducing, whether it be friends or people that I think should meet, or a designer with a store, or um, an and you also have the great you also have the great vision of like of knowing who needs to connect for whatever reason. Like it just like randomly, we could be having lunch, and you immediately like pull off your phone. And you're like, okay, you need to like, I think you should meet this person. You know, um, you're very yeah, good at that. I agree. That I love, you know, I love I love seeing like my friends and who I've made introductions with become good friends. Um, I think that's always, or, you know, just finding ways to kind of make people feel better, no? And, and, um, what are that, whatever that may be. But I think, um, so, so one of the things that you were saying about after, um, being released from quarantine, uh, I think when you, what you were saying when we first started as, you know, I always make time to go to the four cocktail parties or to go see an appointment, even if I have five minutes. Um, I love that. I don't know how you do it, but you've always, and you've always been like that. You know, it's not like, it's not like you started doing this now with your new title. Like this is used as like when you were a fashion assistant at Vogue, you know, you've always been like that, you know, which is, it's a really wonderful thing to have, you know, because not everyone has it. And My I think husband always says, can you give me five minutes of your time <laughs> <laughs> uh, between like sandwich between a million things? So some people don't appreciate it, <laughs> but um, I appreciate but, it a lot. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I, I can't wait to um, connect with people again. I think that um, 
is always, there's always like such a good sense of, of magic when you're able to connect to people regardless for whatever reason it may be and that they um, start a friendship or it helps their business or they mutually help their business, whatever. Like right now I'm having a lot of fun because um, I think it's been great to see a lot of the companies that have adapted to being, to delivering flowers, to, you know, to doing takeout. And I think those are all, um, businesses that we should be supporting. So I've been putting like on my social media, like you can still order flowers from so-and-so, you know, and I think that there's something really um, special about that. Well, Carla, thank you so much for your time thank today. You. Um, um, I can't wait to see you again. Um, Me too. So thank you. On that note. Ciao, Carlita. Un besito. So this has been our conversation with the wonderful Carla Martinez. We hope that you enjoyed listening today. Don't forget to let us know who you'd like to hear in our podcast by emailing us or sending us a direct message on Instagram. I hope everyone is having a great week and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Laughs Podcast.